Alex and Storm here. It is, and we hope you guys have had a great week so far. We are in Freddie's bar today talking to Adam Christensen. Adam is currently doing his PhD at Goldsmiths University of London, um, and he has spoken to us today about a very interesting topic. Yeah, so Adam is looking at PrEP, that is pre-exposure prophylaxis, uh, which is a drug that is used to prevent transmission of HIV. Um, Adam has a background in sociology. He did his bachelor's in the University of Winnipeg, mm -hmm. and he then went on to Carleton U University uh, to do a master's um, in a similar area. Yeah, all right, so we hope you guys enjoy. So, Adam, welcome to the good cast. Hey. How are you today? I'm great. Just came back from a swim. I'm feeling really nice. Excellent. And your hair looks extraordinary, as we've just been talking about for the past five minutes. <laughs> Everyone will have to take that for granted. <laughs> they can just trust trust us. Trust our judgment. Um, so, Adam, you're living here in Good Enough. What house are you in? Uh, I want to say Hufflepuff, but I'm, I'm in... Uh, <laughs> I'm in London House. You're welcome to say Hufflepuff. We are Gryffindor. Yeah, we peeps. are both Gryffindor peeps, yeah. but nothing wrong with being a Hufflepuff. No, like we said in our second episode of Good Enough, we accept everyone from yes. all houses, <laughs> even Slytherin, because it's a great colour. Yes. Oh, yeah. I read something about Slytherin. Yes. They're not actually mean, they're just ambitious. But it's evil too. Debatable, yeah. I feel. We'll have to ask the Harry Potter Society what they think of that interpretation. This well, is true. If you want to look into a social theory that you can actually use to understand Harry Potter in the way that J.K. Rowling actually talks about, um, there's this um, typology of deviance in sociology by someone named Merton, uh, whose first name escapes me right now. He talks actually about how um, uh, there's sort of three types of uh, people based on how they accept the American dream and whether oh. or not they have the means to get there. So. Uh, I, I use it when I teach uh, criminology at university because um, it's really well. It's not accessible anymore because no one reads Harry Potter anymore. <laughs> but um, the houses all roughly correspond to the, personality types, almost. Yeah. So the, the well, it's personality, but also based on sort of like uh, whether they have access to like to money resources, right? Stuff like that. Okay, so maybe the Slytherins would be like the wealthy. The so wealthy ones. You would think, okay. but it's actually the Gryffindors. Oh. Because Gryffindors have both the means and the ambition to achieve goals that they, 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 they want, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Slytherin is um, people who don't have the means but still have the ambition. So they, uh, they usually go around the system, which appears to be sort of evil, evil because yeah. it's, it's sort of innovating things. So crim most criminals fit in that typology and then you have sort of Gryffindor, uh, sorry, um, Hufflepuff as sort of the people who reject both the means and the ends and sort of just like, they're actually in, in the, the typology, they're deviants. Oh, okay. Yeah, like uh, deviants in the sense that they do like substance abuse and stuff like that. And well, okay. Ravenclaw <laughs> are people who are sort of just committed to um, the routine of accomplishing things but have no actual ambition. Oh, wow, okay. empty vessels it sounds well, like it. Well, well, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that typology. It is it is useful for understanding um, uh, and getting a perspective on how all of these people are essentially yeah. good people just in different situations. I life. love that. Okay. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. We we might try and 
find that and link it maybe with the podcast That's so people idea. can check it out themselves. Yeah, see That's which really personality category Merton's, they fall into. But Merton's typology of deviants, great. Merton's sure. typology of deviants. deviants. But Thank Adam, you. unlike um, Devon, who is a previous podcast interviewee who yeah. did um, focus on Harry Potter for her uh, master's. Oh, no. Yeah, she did. Um, you're not studying that. What, no. Can you tell us a little bit about what you are studying? So um, central to the, my, my research interest is this drug called PrEP. So just a little background, I'm a sociologist, so I'm not interested necessarily in uh, the, the chemistry or uh, the people who are taking the drug, but sort of the synergistic effect of all those things in understanding uh, what we can call the social. So not just behaviors, not just health effects or health outcomes, but what it, what it changes in uh, in the way that we relate to one another and the systems that we inhabit more broadly. Okay, so if we go, okay, so that's your background, that and you describe that beautifully. And now if we go back to PrEP and say, what exactly is PrEP? A lot of the listeners yeah. won't even have heard of it. So PrEP is short for pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a pill that you can take before coming into contact with HIV to help prevent the spread of the, the virus to the rest of your cells. Uh, you take it once a day or in a heavier dose on demand. Uh, the way that I like to think about it um, is like birth control for HIV. Uh, so you can take it every day to build up a concentration of the drug in, uh, in your cells. Or, uh, yeah, uh, just like for birth control to prevent a particular outcome. That's a really, birth. yeah, it's a great metaphor actually. Though, unlike birth control, it builds up in particular cells, not in your, your hormonal system more generally. I don't really know that much about where birth control works, but I do know that it is different in that sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, PrEP is something called a reverse transcriptase inhibitor, which means that it uh, messes up the process of translating uh, the HIV RNA into something that can be uh, something that can be integrated into the host cell. So if you kind of think of HIV's DNA like a ladder, it's RNA like a ladder, um, PrEP kind of pretends to be a step in that ladder, mm -hmm. but doesn't have the bars that hold it together so it can't connect to the rest. Okay. Which means that, um, understandably, it doesn't really work very well as a ladder, does it? No. Um, and HIV needs that ladder to make more of itself, uh, which uh, makes it particularly useful uh, for uh, men who have sex with men. So currently there's this really big push by drug manufacturers, um, MSM, men who have sex with men, mm -hmm. policy advocacy groups, and what I call sort of broadly the uh, community and public health apparatus uh, to think of PrEP as a solution to this uh, stagnant HIV transmission rate among MSM for the last couple, almost like a decade now. Mm -hmm. um, so basically the idea is that we can, if we can get as many men who have sex with men among other sort of risk groups to take this drug as we can, HIV could be stomped out, which I think is an excellent prospect. Um, yeah, uh, that's sort of the yeah the idea. That's really that's really clearly explained, and it's something that I've heard. Um, so I'm I'm from a medical background, so uh, I'd kind of have been to a couple of conferences or had a couple of lectures on this topic. Um, I know that um, PrEP has been kind of central to the uh, undetectable uh, equals untransmissible uh, movement, and, and that's taken a lot of hold. Um, but I also know that some of the criticisms of PrEP include that 
because people are on PrEP, they feel they don't need to use other forms of protection. And as a result, STI rates mm -hmm. for other infections have been creeping up. So this is actually one of the, uh, one of the things that I engage with, but I, I can't necessarily comment on, right? Sure. So um, one of the ways that we sort of look, look at this is how various groups get together to make an object intelligible for all the groups involved, right? Mm. So while for, um, uh, so what, what you're talking about is this, this problem, right? That um, there's sort of two conflicting goals. One uh, is this sort of, uh, I, some people argue an imagined goal, but a, a problem nonetheless, of people taking this drug and um, foregoing the use of condoms, right? Uh, for, for some people, this is seen as a solution oh, I don't have to wear condoms anymore. For other people, uh, especially in the medical profession, who, who tend to think a little bit more holistically about sexual health, uh, this problem is not solved by PrEP. And no. the, thus, it, it, it's been sort of uh, a symptom, or not a symptom, but a uh, has become sort of Another problem. Almost. Yeah, another yeah. another problem. Something that needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see they really are trying to solve that problem. You go online and there's so many videos of how prep isn't a cure. It's not like a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's something you have to take. But on top of that, use protection. So I think they are trying, but there needs to be a lot more um, information out there that people can access. So, yeah, what's what's interesting about this drug is that. Uh, while, while the, the, the public health discussions form sort of a pervasive aspect about what sort of expectations we can have about the drug, how we ought to think about it, um, it's actually the nexus of a number of other social relations. And I think that that's one of the reasons that it's so controversial, not necessarily because it, it doesn't meet the, the need of a particular health outcome. I mean, we can make that argument about a lot of drugs. Um, I think that it... it it interferes with a number of strategies, practices, and corresponding identities um, that, that that came out in my MA research mm -hmm. and that I want to elaborate on in my PhD. Okay. Um, so, uh, so, so um, Adam, for people like Alex and I that are um, not at all... Uh, philosophical and we yeah. were very because we're both in the medical background it's very logic and I haven't even a lot of the terminology you use I don't even understand so if you just explain in layman terms what you mean by that about how it's changed perception of the routine and the patterns that people now go through yeah so um, I I was inspired to look at this question because I think a lot of us have this this uh, sort of dual sense about the drug, right? So um, on one hand, you're like, whoa, something that can prevent HIV and is really effective. Mm -hmm. I love this idea. Fantastic. Right? Yeah. Fantastic, right? But at the same time, there's something in, in you that goes, mm, I don't know about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know on, Just, on your side, you know, one, one a lot of people do it, use this sort of STIs sort of uh, rhetoric to, to justify that feeling, but I think that feeling goes deeper. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the thing that I want to... Well, it's one of the things I want to look at. I've been in conversation with my, my supervisor about expanding the question mm -hmm. uh, into these sort of more philosophical spaces. Yeah. And of course, so this inspiration kind of started in your master's, though. So can you tell us a little bit, what was your master's dissertation about? Yeah, so in my master's, what I, uh, 
what I wanted to look at was um, largely framed in a sort of a social construction of technology approach. So what I, what I was looking at was uh, how do the various groups around PrEP, particularly users of the drug and non-users of the drug, imagine it as part of what, what you could imagine as their sexual script, right? So um, what, I, what, I, what I looked at there was how, um, how people imagined PrEP might change or be useful or how it might even mess up their sexual script. Um, sexual script being, sorry, I'm now nitpicking, yeah, yeah. being like, okay, we were smooching and now we are going to get protection and now we're going to obviously fornicate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, so um, there's, a, there's a number of different ways that we can understand uh, script, mm-hmm. right? Um, basically, the, the, the simplest way is to think... Uh, what does this technology allow me to do, right? Um, so, sexuality as we know it uh, doesn't doesn't follow like an, a normal pattern, obviously, yeah. right? But we can we can think about the the world largely like a play, right? Without a script, um, zero script. No well, one knows what's happening. Well, yeah. So, but there are certain things that give us indications about how we should behave, right? Mm. So, um, right now we're in a space that scripts this interview, right? There's a microphone in front of me, uh, it gives me permission to speak, whereas you guys are sort of having to wait for me to stop speaking, uh, to ask well, another question. We're loving it, don't worry. <laughs> but but th- this is sort of the example, right? Mm-hmm. And sex is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain, uh, things that we can do to, uh, to indicate to other people, probably usually singular, but um, <laughs> all, uh, all or to, to the group, uh, <laughs> what uh, what your expectations are, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I, I hope the listeners can just sort of reflect mm-hmm. on uh, you know the the sort of habits or skills that they've developed to communicate to their partner what sort of consent, and, yeah, uh, and yeah, it's largely framed as consent, but it goes deeper than that. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things that um, shows up in the literature and shows up in my own research is that, you know, condoms are central to that script. You can use it to negotiate whether or not you're going to engage in penetrative sex if you're going to uh, move forward in a from sort of uh, sort of heavy petting or uh, making out to something a little bit more intimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, so these sort of objects help give us an understanding of how to, how to behave. So that's really all a sexual script is. Okay, that That's, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and just now uh, during the break, we were talking about. We, sorry, I'd say cutlery break because the cutlery was so loud and Freddy's. Um, we were talking about how we want to sort of. Were you in your research? You would like to redefine or re change the way we think of prep, like not as the shield. And yeah. Well, so um, what we talked about over the break was uh, that there are certain diseases that are. Uh, subject to metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a, a book, and I'm, I'm reluctant to say her last name because I'm pretty certain I say it wrong. It's Susan Sontag who talks about um, these sort of abject diseases and these valorized diseases. She talks about things like cancer and HIV mm-hmm. as sort of these abject diseases. Things like tuberculosis as a kind of a romantic disease uh, where, uh, you know, she makes these interesting points about how, like, wasting away um, 
give, is a romantic thing and feeds into how we understand our body image. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. It's not really my area, but I did find it fascinating. Mm. Um, uh, I, I want to move away from these questions of metaphor, fully realizing that they are going to be important. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I worked a lot on these, these sexual scripts and uh, looking at how people interpret use of the drug. And now I want to I want to take the drug as a little bit more of a uh, place the drug a little bit more centrally in my mm -hmm. my research. I want to know what it means for it to work, right? So we talked a little bit earlier about how uh, uh, for you as a as medical specialists uh, for prep to work, it would need to do something more than just HIV. It would need to fight gonorrhea and chlamydia, syphilis, these things. Um, and this is framed, how did you frame it? You said it was, um, uh, there's controversy because it doesn't work? Or? Um, I suppose the question around it is, while it's very effective at reducing HIV transmission rates, the, 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 the potential problem is that it's now leading to less protected sex and the rise in rates of chlamydia, gonorrhea, uh, uh, which, as we know, are STIs that are increasingly um, susceptible to becoming... Um, uh, resistant to the antibiotics that we have. Right. So one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reframe my question around is how these, these debates make their way into our expectations and use of PrEP. So um, I argue that, that PrEP is only sort of tentatively, tentatively? Uh, <laughs> integrated into uh, HIV prevention as an effective technology. I'm glad you used that word. Um, other work in the fields made it has made it clear that this effectiveness is only really accomplished by sidelining certain effects and certain groups, uh, and by delimiting, sorry, which idealized bodies and practices PrEP is designed for. So in addition to the concerns about how it's being used now, right, how these, these increasing rates of uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia and such, mm -hmm. um, there's also this question of um, what about these, these groups that we Con we didn't conveniently ignore, but we were able to ignore in constructing the drug as a an effective uh, object of biomedical um, discovery. Yeah, mm. I like that. Just <laughs> object of biomedical discovery. So who are those groups? Um, so this is a good question, right? This is actually part of the research, right? Is to think um, while the the drug tests constructed a particular person that this would be for, mm -hmm. presumably high-risk mm -hmm. MSM mm -hmm. who um, uh, can, can get a certain concentration uh, in their blood and uh, for, for which this is, uh, you know, able to function as an HIV drug mm -hmm. um, so long as they do certain practices and, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to look at the studies again because um, there's, there's, a, there's a basically... There is an ideal user that is yeah. constructed. So it's the, the drug, right? it's people at risk. That's the yeah. Well, not just people at risk, right? There's um, it's it's MSM at risk, mm -hmm. and right. it's particular MSM who are at risk. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so those that maybe aren't in a mon monogamous relationship or. Well, yeah. So um, there's there's sort of this idea that um, uh, the person who is most susceptible or. Uh, uh, idealized for PrEP, and this is sort of an interesting contradiction, is someone who is both aware that they're high risk and by nature of being high risk a vulnerable group. Mm. Um, which is 
a very difficult contradiction to to navigate through. Yeah. Um, as a person trying to get a hold of yeah. it. So this is actually sort of dated research at this point because now that now that practitioners are more aware of what prep is, yeah. it's it's they're sort of redefining what the ideal user is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that um, this question of how prep might work or not work in sort of surprising cases uh, isn't addressed, right? So um, I want to reopen this question and look at prep, what prep can tell us about the body, medical care, and what it means to thrive more broadly, right? So one of the things that's central to this is questioning what it means to be an HIV prevention medication, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Changing um, the stigma behind it. So I'm glad you mentioned stigma. We'll talk about it in a minute. Okay. Um, but but actually rethinking what it what what prep could be outside of HIV prevention. So um, thinking what is the role of HIV in our day to day lives, and how does using this drug perhaps enable us to do things or constrain particular behaviors that are um, that are outside of the realm of what we're currently talking about. Um, so, in a way, you know, talking just about side effects or talking about people's um, this, re- this rising incidence of HIV or so not HIV but um, STIs mm-hmm. continues to frame it in this biomedical way mm-hmm. that continues to constrain what the drug does um, and what we imagine it to do. Yeah, um, I guess I get you know and. This is where we have this meeting of yeah. the kind of more sociological approach and yeah. the biomedical approach. And I suppose what I'm struggling with when, uh, when, we're, t- when we're working this out is, for me, PrEP prevents HIV. That's what it does. Yeah. It, uh, and I, I get that when, you know, when you're talking about how does it, how does it affect us other than outside of the biomedical yeah. effect that it has. And, uh, you know, obviously then... Uh, we're into talking about its effect on sexual behaviors, but is there other, are there other things that PrEP does outside of its biomedical and then changing the way people behave sexually, changing the sexual script? Is there another element to this that I'm missing? So that's, that's exactly what I'm, I'm changing my project to look at. Okay. Which is how to, how to move away from, uh, from this, this sort of unidirectional transition or tra- uh, trajectory. Of, of what PrEP is. So there's sort of this idea in uh, social construction of technology that um, the uses and interpretations of a, of, a, of a technology, whether it be chairs, drugs, um, I don't know, planes, mm-hmm. um, once, it, once it reaches a certain uh, either saturation or, uh, or Threshold. momentum, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine any other use for it, right? So the idea here is to, to, to think about what other possibilities are available for this drug, right? And um, perhaps shed light on these contradictions that we can't solve by asking sort of biomedical or behavioral questions. Okay. So um, what I, what I, what I want to argue is that there's nothing inherently meaningful about our bodies um, or prep, right? So, you know, we think that um, MSM inhabit a, sort, a certain type of body, a certain group of behaviors mm-hmm. that PrEP would be useful for, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to I do away with that idea and say, okay, there's nothing inherently meaningful about either of these objects. They have capacities, sure, I and mean, bodies have capacities, obviously, and so does the drug. But 
there's actually a range of ways that our bodies and objects can interact with each other. Uh, so, for example, um, PrEP can work both within our bodies in chemical ways that, um, uh, th that we understand, but through the, the lens of, uh, what would it be, uh, side effects or, uh, uh, you know, therapeutic uses, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's also other ways that it might work or not work in uh, in part in its in its system of signs that we use to obtain or signify consent or mm -hmm. uh, talk about HIV risk or tolerance. Yeah. Um, but that's only those are only two ways that it that it could work, and only based on sort of one way of looking at the drug. Yeah. Right. Um, I work from the contention that this that the apparent coherence of our bodies or of objects. Is actually the the result of a delimitation or delineation. I don't know the right word. Uh, delimitation apparently is a word by knowledge forms and through the habits that we engage in, right? Mm -hmm. So um, rather than arising from the object itself, so you're not your your body doesn't work the way it does because of something necessarily inside of it, but because of the way it actually behaves. If that sort of makes sense, you can think about it sort of in the context of, like, that, that might be a bit complicated. You could think something like, um, we just talked about this with cancer, you know, if we, if we frame it as a uh, Battling as cancer, a battle, yeah. Mm -hmm. He lost his life to cancer. If, if it's hard, you realize you're losing the battle, yeah. and you might actually give in, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Um, but we can think about this things as, like, um, for, for, you know, on a maybe more accessible level, we could talk about, you know, there's, there's no one, like, gay person or no one woman, right? There's actually multiple ways of being those people, right? Mm -hmm. And that we only really understand that multiplicity through the category that it's placed in. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right? I think I think Adam's looking at us and we're like <laughs> looking back at you and we're like, but I feel like I'm getting there, you know? Slowly. I slowly. Like but it I is, I, I think what you're seeing here in this conversation is just trying to you turn around the way that you're looking at things, yeah. and that's why it's so interesting mm -hmm. um, yeah. and difficult. And difficult. Time. Really and difficult. difficult. Trust, trust me, it's definitely difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, uh, but the interesting thing about this, right, is that um, every interaction is itself a little bit unique. I mean, they, I mean, you sit in chairs all the time, but. The actual interaction of sitting in a chair is unique each time, and you only understand it through the schemata of that. This is a really comfy, yes. comfy this is yes. experience. I never met a chairs. chair I didn't like. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. I certainly have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so, so what I what I want to look at is how prep is rendered intelligible through our understandings of HIV risk and these prevention practices, okay. but also how uh, things that don't fit within that neatly within those schemas, right? Uh, resurge outside of these trials that, that made PrEP effective, you know, constructed it as effective, um, and how it, how it only partially explains the commonplace habits of MSM and, uh, I guess, the people they have sex with. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Uh, yeah, basically, the, the whole idea here is that I want to look at how both the people who use PrEP and don't use PrEP 
are co-produced through the drug itself and um, how these bodies interact with their partners, friends, the medical community, and how those interactions can actually tell us more about what PrEP could do or how it might work. Okay. Okay, perfect. So, um, Adam, how, if this is the case, how do you think this project could um, contribute beyond the academic world and actually be practiced in the real world? So this is always a difficult question for sociologists. Um, I think we get into our discipline thinking that we can make a difference, perhaps enact an ethics or bring a marginalized group to the voice at a policy table. But I think from from our interaction already, you can see how complicated and how how really messy our, our research makes. Yeah. Uh, and there's never just like a yes or no answer. It's always like, mm, but, yeah, and that's hard. Yeah. So, um, it's often the case that we can't we can't offer anything uh, very concrete to to policy because what we usually find are critical flaws in the very nature mm -hmm. of the thing we're studying. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's difficult to say something like, um, oh yeah, if you if you just enact this practice when you're interacting with your your patients, mm -hmm. uh, you know we'll we'll see a rate that that, that spikes in some good way. Um, what I can say is that I learned something during my master's that might actually be useful to uh, practitioners who are listening. Brilliant. Um, so there is a disjuncture between people who take PrEP and who don't take PrEP in how they imagine their relationship to HIV. Uh, related to this is this notion of stigma, and I'm glad that you asked about this notion, because the way that, that it's related to how PrEP is, or how HIV is stigmatized and how PrEP might inherit some of the stigma. And we're, if, if you're familiar with the, the discussions that's happening around PrEP, there is this call to destigmatize it, to to, uh, to get people to, to communicate their PrEP use, and mm -hmm. uh, perhaps as a way to get around these this STI outbreak that's mm -hmm. going around it, right? But and one of the ways that we do this is through making pro-sex appeals to PrEP as a drug that lets you have good sex, okay. right? Mm -hmm. And now. If the goal is to get more people on PrEP, which I'm not saying should actually be the goal, mm -hmm. um, it is a mistake to use these pro-sex appeals, um, as it actually, I think, reinforces the stigma rather than address the cause. These pro-sex advertisements around PrEP might reinforce the sense that it's for promiscuous people and therefore risky people, yeah. and will continue to imply that PrEP is not for self-identified sort of regular folk, yeah. right? Mm. So Muggles. <laughs> yeah. It's not a muggle drug, it's only for wizards. I love <laughs> I like that. Um, but this, so this mischaracterizes how PrEP could work for people who don't imagine themselves as high risk, and this is important. I'm sure you can understand as people who have a commitment to helping people who might be at risk of disease. In fact, it appears to feed into the anxiety that people have made a mistake, or worse, were violated by their partner who happened to have been HIV, whether or not they knew it or not. There's evidence that HIV is understood as a moral problem, uh, where people are assumed, uh, people with HIV are assumed to be the ones who have to voice their status. Yet, in multiple studies, we found that people who have HIV and people who don't have HIV use the same practice to communicate that they're seroconcordant, namely not saying their status. Uh, okay. So people just assume that you're not. If they don't say it, I don't have to say it because we're the same status. Oh right? wow! Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you can see how this re-stigmatization just sort of feeds into this 
growing camp of HIV negative and HIV positive, positive people. Yeah. Where, uh, so, uh, all of this feeds into a structure where HIV is able to spread because of this self-reinforcing conversation of stigma and ineffective communication practices. And I think it might be inherited by what I'm calling sort of early prep, what we're experiencing now. Um, and one way to address this is for doctors to uh, discuss PrEP as a way to feel more certain about their HIV status at their next test, rather than to protect themselves from their high-risk partners or uh, to protect others from themselves, mm -hmm. which is sort of implied in how we talk about it currently. So kind of shifting the narrative away from harm reduction more towards certainty about knowing your status perhaps so certainty or feeling more secure in their status mm -hmm. um rather than talking about uh you know improving your sex or uh protecting yourself which okay. are the two sort of emerging the words they keep using sort of discourses mm -hmm. under early prep as you're calling it yeah I mean, it is quite early because it's only released in 2012 or something like yeah. that yeah drug Travada. though it's been it's been available uh it's it's been longer in existence than that. for a lot longer okay. I think it came out in 2001 or something like okay that. you know it takes a while for drugs to make their way of course FDA approval and all that jazz yeah uh so I mean while it's not you know a strong recommendation and in fact it might itself cause other problems. Yeah. Um, it is one recommendation that I was that I learned and I thought might be useful for doctors um, as a way of changing the way that they uh, recommend or discuss prep with them. No, of course. That's really interesting. Yeah, and that is something that can actually be used and help and really yeah. helpful in in real life situations. Yeah. So while we don't get to, I don't get to make this pivotal change in uh, in sort of the social, if anything, perhaps it might be a good way to destigmatize it, even though the stigma itself reinforces it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Adam, that's just from your master's, so let's just wait to see what you yeah. do yeah, yeah, with yeah. your PhD. PhD. Maybe we'll chat to you in three or four years' time and see you've changed the changed entire the stigma. Changed the prep. Absolutely. In, in the UK and beyond. Yeah. In the world, Alex. In the world. Adam, are you listening to any podcasts yourself at the moment? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I'm definitely uh, sort of in the shallow end as it comes to uh, podcasts. Okay. Uh, it's not a podcast, but I really like the NPR One app, which it's really expertly designed. It always starts you off with the American news and then a short discussion of current events. And then it, it feeds you uh, different sort of radio podcasts that NPR and their partner stations promote. Oh, awesome. Cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Okay, and great. It's great. I really like Shankar Vedantam's uh, Hidden Brain and Morning Hidden Edition. Brain, so good. Yeah, these are all NPR sponsored. So they come. Right. So, so it's the NPR One app. The NPR One app. Okay, okay. It's excellent. quite good. Lovely. Adam, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, I definitely think it took Storm and I a while to 
get around, get our heads around some of the concepts that Adam was discussing. And I kind of feel that rather than getting there now, I have a little bit of a journey to go on. I know, that was one of those uh, interviews where you just feel like you've so much more to learn in mm. life. And I, my head feels like it's just exploded. <laughs> and I definitely wrote a few words and terminologies down that I just have never heard of before. But I guess that's why we're doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. The idea is to get out of our own area of expertise or interest mm -hmm. and try and understand some of the really interesting and thought-provoking work that's going on in Good Enough. Absolutely. And there's so many people who you sit down beside in the Great Hall or meet at an event and sometimes it's just nice to hear more about what they're doing. Yeah. So if you want to talk to us uh, or if you know someone like that who you think is doing really interesting research that other people should know about, make sure to drop us a line either on Facebook, mm -hmm. in person or on our email on our trusty email, email which we have got so many emails from emails so far on. it's a goodcastpod at gmail.com that's goodcastpod at gmail.com <laughs> and make sure to use our promo code goodcastpod <laughs> for discounts on Freddy's. good enough freddy's mm -hmm. good enough merchandise mm -hmm. and uh plenty of other events which we're excited to launch soon absolutely have a great day guys all right bye